and welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brady and I'm here with Sophos experts Paul Ducklin. Hello, folks. Peter McKenzie. Hello. And Mark Stockley. Hi. Mark, you've returned. I'm back. You're back and I'm back as well because I haven't been here for two welcome weeks. Welcome back, Anna Brady. Welcome back, Mark Stockley. Uh, were you ill? <laughs> no, I you was, just I was learning all about Docker, oh. which is a little bit like being ill. I was ill and I'm dosed <laughs> up on medicine. But you don't get over it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As usual, we've picked the top three stories from the week to discuss on the podcast. So coming up on today's show, Peter discusses why attacks succeed. Mark talks about why we should be afraid of kids' smartwatches. And Duck warns you that your hard disks might fail. As long as my hard disk doesn't fail before my section starts. <laughs> Let's hope. Start the stopwatch. Mark, go for it. <laughs> TikTok, TikTok. Peter, do I have that? to do this the whole time? If you could, if you TikTok, could. TikTok, TikTok. Only until your segment. Let's Peter. just infer it from now on. On Monday, you tweeted that you'd managed to stop a riot attack on a casino or indeed prevent it. What what went on there? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I work in incident response. So, normally, we're called in after the attack has already yeah. happened to help clean up, basically. Um but we were dealing with, well, it was an organisation who was already detecting malicious PowerShell in their environment. They knew something was going on, but they didn't know what. So they asked us to come in and help them. And we looked at their entire environment. We found more PowerShell. We found admin users that were doing things when the real admin user was safely tucked up in bed. And we investigated and, yeah, we found some unprotected machines that were full of TrickBot and... As we've discussed on this podcast before, TrickBot is a very dangerous worm, does a lot of damage by itself, but it can also give access to other attackers who historically have then launched Riot ransomware attacks across an entire network. So we identified what's happening and we kicked them off the network. Nice. No attack. Smooth. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, and I, I just sort of casually tweeted it. It's got a load of likes, which was it was quite a surprise because... It just felt really refreshing to be on the other side of the attack for once, actually preventing one rather than coming in to help explain what happened. And it was nice that the sort of InfoSec community likes that as well. You've got a positive response from the InfoSec yes, community I on know. Twitter. I think that's what surprised me most. There's hope for us all. When you say they called you out, I'm, I'm assuming that they've got some sort of spotlight mounted on the top of a building yes. with a kind of silhouette of Peter that and they projected against some clouds. <laughs> And then you were just looking out the window and yep. you saw this. And I just sit there looking for lights in the sky. Just waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's also reassuring for people who only ever see those headlines that go, you know, ransomware attack, hospital down, nursing home in trouble. You know, you never get headlines going, ransomware attack mm. utterly fails. No, unfortunately not. It's quite exciting when, yeah. you, when you know it would have happened, but you stopped it. Exactly, yeah. And nice for you to be telling us a positive story as well, because I feel like a lot of the time you're you're coming over to our desk yeah, and telling us about something terrible that's happened. Doom and gloom. What was the one about the guy with the riot? Oh, the, yeah, the one, um, this was four months ago, I think. Uh, so it was a town in America. They got hit by riot. Um, I was on the phone with the admin, and they said, it's okay, we've got our backups, we're fine. I said... Are you sure if you checked they're there? Do you know they're fine? So he was on the phone. He went and opened up their backup server, and I heard him, you know, click on the D drive, go to the folder with his backups, and then he just started, like, hyperventilating. Um, oh. They all got .rike extension on the end. Uh, he got You could hear he got up away from his desk. They were, he was sort of just pacing around the room, and then I heard him basically sort of dry heaving in the corner. Um, wow. Yeah, Beautiful. it was quite... 
traumatic so for him and, and me, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. But the realization that actually their, you know, their police records, the the public records they had for this town mm. were gone. Yeah. If it's live and it's online just as much as your live real data, it's not really a backup, is no, it? It's, no. it's just a second copy. No, th- their backup was uh, a bit of backup software that did everything on the D drive, but it was just one of their domain controllers. It, you know, it was just more data to encrypt, and that's what happened. And Ouch. it's a really, it's a really important target, isn't it? I mean, it's not just oh, another yeah. drive. It's actually. Mm. You know, destination yeah, they hit number it one, separately. Isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of the riot attacks, they drop a one of the ransomware executables on every drive letter and then launch all of them at once. So you're not trying to stop one attack, you're actually trying to stop five attacks mm. all at once. So yeah, it gets quite messy. And sometimes they'll even go looking for something that looks like a backup server that isn't mounted with a drive letter and just wipe or delete yeah. that specially. I mean, for these type of attacks, which we have talked about before, where the attacker's on the network, they've already got domain admin by this point. They don't even need to use malware to get rid of your backups. They can just delete them, mm. which means they don't get caught, basically. There's nothing to get detected. They just delete them, mm. and then they launch the ransomware attack. So, yeah. So that this talk about people being attacked leads us nicely onto what you're talking about this week, Peter, which is the common mistakes that companies make. Yeah, so one of the most common things we have to go through in instant response is the victim wants to know how the security vendor failed. What did they miss? And the reality is when you're talking about layered defence and there's like 50 different things that could potentially stop an attack, there is almost always something that could have stopped it even if it's down to just the fact that the computer was turned off. But, uh, you know, there is always, most of the time, something that could have prevented an attack. Mm. And a security vendor missing something, which does happen, of course, is not the most common reason these attacks succeed. It's actually Mm. the basics people are getting wrong. Because they can have all the most advanced technology in the world, but it's still just a tool, and it depends how you use that tool. So my most... Four common things that we see in pretty much every incident we get involved in. The first one is unprotected machines. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, mm. but... You have. Yeah. <laughs> the Ryak attack on the casino that yep. um, we prevented this week. So, yeah, we found the PowerShell running. We looked at it. We found that an admin had logged into one of the domain controllers from another IP address on their network. We went and found that machine. It was a server that was unprotected. They had installed TrickBot on it. Um, we also looked uh, at the logs from that server and found that they'd been RDPing into other machines on the network that also unprotected, giving them this complete beachhead in their environment to get everything ready, to do all their testing, to work out where all the backup servers are, with no one paying any attention to them. So, so Sorry, they were RDPing to other computers from that beachhead? Yeah, lateral movement yeah, from yeah. within the network. Okay. Yeah, Because why not, if it's open and they've mm. got the credentials? Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, there's so many reasons that I've heard over the years of why these machines have been unprotected. Most common one is they just forgot. You know, they spun up a new server, they needed it for some task, they didn't think about installing security on it at the time. And then that was two months ago and it's still running. Peter, that sounds just like when we look at password breach lists and one of the top passwords is invariably change me. Like, yeah. you just kind of never get round to yeah, it. And exactly. you have to get round to it. They, you, don't start, you don't add more machines to your network thinking, 
I'm going to make myself more secure by adding machines. You know, that you're doing it for another purpose. Mm. Mm. The security is the, the latter concern. And you're often doing it in a great hurry, aren't you? The, yeah. You need more because you need them now. Yeah. Cut some corners. Exactly. And the, I mean, the other argument I've heard a lot is this perceived performance impact that AV can cause on a machine, which historically there was evidence for that, but that's, that's a long time mm. ago now. And most people realise that you know, if there is a performance impact, it's probably because it's doing something very useful, like stopping you from a <laughs> ransomware attack. Yeah, so, there's nothing quite as bad as performance disenhancing as having all your files scrambled exactly. by ransomware. I once saw a customer, they had excluded C drive from scanning, and they had put a little note on it saying, excluded due to slowing down machine. Oh. And they were contacting us because they had a coin miner infection slowing down all of their computers on their network. I was like, well, okay, which one do you want? <laughs> Something's going to slow down your machine. Do you want it to be malware or protection? But anyway, um, yeah, so unprotected machines. The other reason is, of course, um, they worried about the performance. So they say, well, look, this server is so critical. It contains our patient data or whatever. We can't have any downtime on this server, which is why we haven't done any patching or reboots for two years and why we haven't installed any AV. And then, of course, it gets encrypted and they quite quickly change mm. their tune on that. So, yeah, unprotected machines. So um, the second one that, again, is unbelievably common is you've gone and put the latest security products on your all your machines, but you haven't actually enabled all the features for whatever reason, or maybe you've gone and disabled a feature because a user complained YouTube was slow two years ago, so you disabled web protection for all users because that was the most convenient thing to do at the time. Because it was a CXO, yeah, someone senior, yeah, you know, probably. You're busy, so yeah, just disable it, we'll investigate later, but you never do. Or you add an exclusion like C drive. You know, there is something you've either turned off or not turned on, or maybe there's a new feature. So not everyone realises, but um, most AV uh, companies, when they introduce new features, they are off by default. And that's because we can't just turn brand things on without telling you in advance because they all, you know, everyone complains like, well, this caused a problem and you didn't give me a chance to test it. So we have to give you these new features, allow you to test them, make sure they're suitable for your environments, and then you can turn them on when you're ready, which is perfectly reasonable, but unfortunately not everyone remembers to do it. Uh, the third one, of course, we say this pretty much every episode, it's patching. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, remembering to patch, remembering to do it on a regular basis and not just Windows patching. It's the, the Flash and all the other applications you've got on these machines, any one of which could have a vulnerability that an attacker could take advantage of. Peter, there is a huge irony there, isn't there, that you still hear people saying, oh, no, I'm going to wait two or three months before I patch in case it causes something bad to happen on the server. You're thinking something already bad has happened. There's an exploitable vulnerability that now everybody knows about. Like, how much worse can you get than that? Yeah. And, you know, you, you, sometimes you can, just be, you can just be too conservative, too slow, and the crooks are waiting for that. Yeah, they're not waiting. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they don't... Well, they're looking out for yeah, it, and they, they're not waiting. They don't yeah. care about your patching deadlines. They don't care about your change freezes or anything like that. No, they will take advantage of it as soon as they can. Yeah, after all, if you had a change freeze that really was a freeze, the crooks wouldn't be able to make any changes either, <laughs> yeah, yet they true. can. Yeah. So think of that. Presumably, if you've got unprotected machines, some of those unprotected machines are simply forgotten about. And there's, yeah. there's also a patching problem... You lose the those. visibility. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's another thing. I was, we track it back to a machine saying, well, look, this is 
the one they were doing their stuff on, and we can see it's not, you know, it's not protected. Where is it? What's it doing? And they're going, we don't know. Let's go find it. It's like, this is a server on your network. Yeah. And then the fourth one, um, again, we say this pretty much every episode, weak or generically used passwords or generically used accounts. So weak passwords, you know, anything below 12 characters now I would consider weak. Um, and we could probably argue about that as well. But um, the thing I see more commonly used is uh, accounts used by multiple staff members. So maybe mm. you've got five admins yeah. and you've gone, well, we, we only want one account that has access because it's easier for us to manage one account that has access. So what we're going to do is let all five admins use it. We're going to give it a password they can remember. But now you've got a weak password on a very important account. And if stuff happens that's suspicious on that, you can't say, well, that's that's John's account. We know he's working or he's not working because you can say, well, actually, it could be Bob's account and maybe he is doing something at 3 a.m. Mm. We don't know. Um, so, yeah, the whole weak passwords and weak passwords on service accounts. So everyone thinks about users and admins, but actually you go and install these other applications, SQL and whatever, and you give them all their access. And I've seen so many applications that have domain admin access. It's very dangerous. Mm. And, yeah, this is the common mistakes that everyone seems to make, and it's what attackers absolutely rely on. What's the most common question you get when it comes to malware protection? Uh, Do you protect against X? Mm. Whatever X may be of the day, they've read a paper, an article. Do you protect against this? That question annoys me on so many levels because it's not even the right question. If I, if you're my security vendor, Anna, you're in charge of my protection, which worries me a lot, actually. If I come to you Just and say, can you protect me against this? Yes. I mean, can you, Anna? Oh, that's can you? good. Oh, thank you. Okay, but now what if I told you, well, I haven't actually installed your software yet? Or I have, but yeah, I've turned half of it off. Or yeah. I've only installed it on half of my machines. It's like it's not. It's not. Can you protect me? Yeah. Is am I protected? Yeah. Is the real question. And there's a lot more answers you have to answer yourself in that question. That's why people don't like asking it. And but, people um, love to get one file hash indicator of compromise mm. off a website that they've read about yeah. because somebody is somebody's writing about this because it's interesting. Yeah. And then they go, "Do you protect against this?" And you think they were four hundred and twenty-three thousand nine hundred and seventy-four other samples that day. Yeah. So what's your advice then for, for, you've got these four mistakes, what's the advice? Unpatch machines, um, sorry, unprotected machines, uh, network scans, regularly reviewing your Active Directory, not just concentrating on adding new machines, but also cleaning up the removal of old ones from Active Directory, just good network maintenance, basically. Right. Um, you could also look at network access control applications that you know don't allow a machine onto the internet until it meets your security policy, mm-hmm. those kind of things. Um, not following best practice, well, of course, you may not know what the best practice is, so go to a search engine, Google... <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to say search there, not Google. Sorry. Go to a search engine and search for best practice and then the name of your security product. If you can't find the answers there, then just speak to their technical support team and I'm sure they can help you. Okay. Unpatched machines, I mean, patch often, patch regularly is the advice that I don't think we can 
ever stop giving by the looks of things. And we could generic passwords. Well, you can enforce complex passwords. You can enforce length of passwords. So things like that. And don't make exceptions for service accounts or admins. And don't share passwords and share accounts because you lose the accountability for the, the very least. It's just not great auditing. It sounds to me a bit like one of the one of the kind of underpinnings for this is something that we see in development quite a lot, which is just that people work with a lot of assumptions about what's already happening and what they've already got. And the worst problems in development come from people just not checking those assumptions. Mm. And it sounds to me like if you work in an environment where you're responsible for a bunch of servers, just check your assumptions in terms of do you know what computers you actually have? Sure, you think you do, but go and test your assumptions. Yeah. Have you actually patched are you using the software in the best possible way? Just check those assumptions. And we're not talking about hiring expensive pen testers. We're talking about getting the basics right first. Just make sure they're all protected for starters. Cool. Thanks, Peter. Mark, we wrote an article uh, this week about a kid's smartwatch on naked security and uh, writer John Dunn called it an unmitigated security disaster. Sounds pretty scary. Yeah, he did and he wasn't wrong. So we're talking about a $32 kid's smartwatch called the SMA Watch M2. So this uh, smartwatch is designed to appeal to kids and it's designed to appeal to adults. So it's colourful, it's shiny, your kids will probably want to wear it, but the real reason that your kids will be wearing it is because the parents have slapped it on their wrist and they've done that because it does things like geofencing, which means it'll tell you if the children have exceeded their sort of electronic boundaries that you've set for them. Oh, right, okay. Um, it like allows you... Yeah, yeah, it sounds it's a little a bit, bit like Her Majesty's Prison. <laughs> it is, it is, I was thinking that earlier. It's a lot like a beautiful neon pink ankle tag. Nice. <laughs> um, it'll tell you your kid's location and allow you to plot their journeys. Uh, and it's got an SOS button, which allows them to send a message and a location. So that sounds great. What could go wrong? Well, perhaps we should ask Anna. Not Me? Anna Brading. No, Anna is a 10-year-old girl and she lives with her grandparents in a small guest house in Germany. This is still Anna Brading at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I was once a 10-year-old girl. In Germany. This Sometimes. Is, this is a different Anna. She does live in Germany. Um, she walks alone to the local harbour at two o'clock every day and she stays there for about an hour. And we know this because these, discovers, these details were discovered by AV Test, who are an independent IT uh, testing company, along with details for about 5,000 other children. So how is it possible that they could have been so insecure? Well, what they discovered was a cache of data on a server on the internet. Right. And basically the watches communicate with this server and they, they beam the information from the watch to the server and the uh, the communication between the two isn't encrypted and it's not protected with any kind of authentication. Or rather, it is protected by authentication, but the authentication is ignored by the server. Wow. So it's kind of like whatever password you type in works. Yeah. Um, and what they so found... Pick a complicated one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might, might be worse. This is yeah. one situation where pick a proper password actually has no effect whatsoever. Shocking. Shocking. Um, so the data they found on the server, for example, what they found about Anna was where she lived, the route that she took to school every day, and the communications that she'd had with her grandparents. Mm. So I, I can't think of a more chilling set yeah. of data that you, you as a parent... That you could that could fall into the hands of uh, a predator. Yes, yeah, the opposite reason of what you bought it for in the first place. Totally. Exactly that. Yes. Yeah. 
And it doesn't need to be a message that says, I am at home, I am at school, or if you're an adult, when you're being tracked at work. It's pretty obvious because that's your everyday commute. You're most likely to start at home and end at school, and then at the end of the day, you start at school and end at home. Yep. So if you've just got geolocation data, it's actually pretty obvious where you live and where you work. Yep. So is this watch new to the market then? No, this watch has been around, we think, uh, for at least three years. Oh, really? Yep. And how many, do we know how many children this bug's affected? Uh, so AV test found details on 5,000 uh, separate kids. Gosh. But uh, what they're saying is uh, they've, they, they have reason to believe that the, the real number is probably much higher. So we, we don't know for sure, but a lot. Right, okay. So parents at home that have uh, bought their children this shiny new smartwatch and uh, the children are enjoying it, uh, what should they do? Take them off. Okay. Dispose responsibly. Yeah. Yes. Just that, if that, yeah. Is that strong? Just don't use them. Just if your child has got one of these smartwatches, as as Peter said, this is doing the exact opposite of right. what you want it to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just telling you where they are, it's telling anybody that cares to look and where they is, are. R- remind me that what the watch is called? Uh, this is called the SMA Watch M2. Okay, and what about other watches? Well, I'm glad you asked. Oh, well, this has been, sadly, this has been a really fertile ground for researchers and pen testers over the last few years. Mm. You know, we're used to the idea that the Internet of Things is a bit of a dumpster fire for security. Well, it, it seems that there's a particularly sort of hot, bright part of that dumpster fire reserved for kids' smartwatches. Um, and we've written a number of articles over the years about about smartwatches that sound exactly like this one mm. and have exactly the same sorts of flaws. One in particular stands out, though. So in 2017, the Norwegian Consumer Council looked at four different kids' smartwatches and the range of problems they found across those four mm. smartwatches. For example... Um, you could anybody could take control of these smartwatches. Wow! Um, they could be used to eavesdrop on the children who were wearing them. You uh, some of the watches allowed you to look at the children through the camera. Some of them allowed you to talk to the children through the microphone because these things they're basically phones that mm. you stick on your wrist. Um, like this watch, they allowed for the tracking of the children's movements and some of them even allowed attackers to actually fake the location. So you could fool the parents into thinking the children are somewhere that they're not. Ooh, so I didn't horrible. think it could get any worse. This is but really, actually, chilling. Is yeah, because yeah, I've got two kids and I would love to know where they were for those kind of safety reasons and yeah. just reassurance. But you wouldn't yeah. want to be the last the one to know. that someone oh, else could be speaking to them or looking at them, yeah, that, that doesn't... No, appeal. that's awful. It's, it, yeah, I agree with you. I've got young kids and I, I find it absolutely chilling. What what? I mean, I don't think we've ever written about an account where these things have been abused to do that. Mm. But, of course, everybody listening who's got kids is going to think, well, but if you're I don't want to be the first one. You know, I, I don't want that to be about me. Mm. If you're selling one of these things, your duty is, given that it's specifically for helping kids be more secure, is to go out of your way to make it at least neutral, not to be so cheap and cheerful that you make them insecure. Because I don't know if this sounds like victim blaming. I don't intend it to, but you showed me the website for that yeah. SMAM too. It sounded like an assault weapon at first. That weird name. <laughs> and I was thinking baby powder. Seriously, looking at that, oh, but looking at formula. that website, it was at the very borderline, maybe beyond of illiteracy. It was so it, like if if you'd done a little bit of due diligence and you looked at that website 
I don't see how you would buy that product for your kids. But some people, I, th- I think you're coming from a point of view of someone that's clued up, knows how to write, knows knows about security. So we have to assume that not everybody does. And, and, and yeah, people um, are trying to protect their children. And you're not buying them from that website, most likely. You're probably buying them from Amazon or somewhere like that. Yeah. No, but I mean, in other words, it doesn't... If you've done a little bit of what you might call due mm. diligence, I think anybody, even if you're not a techie, if you were to arrive at that website, it is almost comically bad, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's got pictures of the product that are just so unbelievably cheaply, nastily done. The descriptions are just so littered with obviously idiotic mistakes that you've got to think like we talk about every time with phishing that sometimes you might get a phishing email that is so believable that anybody could fall for it but usually there are some clues don't be the person who misses the clue that you could have seen and I don't mean it's your fault but you know go out of your way to make sure that you're not putting yourself in mm. harm's way you've now got my conspiracy theorist uh, mind spinning about who is the person that actually made the software and the oh. hardware in the first place, and which other watches is it in with different brand names? Well, and what was their what was their actual intention for making it? Maybe they wanted to know where your kids were. Mm. I it, this looks as though the 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 whole reason this the security is terrible is that it was done on a budget of. I was going to say let's let's not forget that this is a thirty two dollar smartwatch, yeah. and they're so probably this making is, a fortune at thirty two basically bucks. A, this is basically a phone you can stick on your wrist mm. that costs thirty two dollars. Yeah. And Duck's right; the production values on the website are pretty shoddy. And if you've got a phishing email that looked like that, that had the same sort of spelling mistakes in it, you would probably clock it for exactly what it is. You probably would, but we know that people don't. So, what's your general advice for people with kids with smartwatches? Well, my advice would be to listen to Finn Mierstad, who is the Director of Digital Policy for the NCC. That was the Norwegian Consumer Council I mentioned earlier. And their advice was, until these issues have been resolved, these watches shouldn't be in stores even less your child's arm. And I, I kind of agree with that. Mm. We've we've written so many times now about kids' smartwatches. They do seem to be built down to a cost rather than up to a standard. And I wouldn't put one on my kid's arm. And I recommend you don't do the same. But- I recommend you do do the same. I recommend you follow my advice and don't put one on your child's arm. But what about um, parents that do want to track their kids? They, well, you know, they're sending their children to school and they're a bit worried about where they are. What I say to them is your parents didn't need this and your grandparents didn't need this. There must be another way. Why don't you go and ask them? Well, technology's improved since then, though, haven't, hasn't well, it? Ar- arguably not. Well, <laughs> security hasn't. I, I feel it's one of those areas where we feel like technology ought to have improved, but actually... It's just... You know, the problems. situation on the ground is that security just yeah. d- doesn't seem to be a thing in this area right now. No, I'm not going to put one on my son's arm. Exactly. And if you can't, as, as, these, uh, as the findings were, you can't even trust the results that you get from it when you do want to find your kids. Yep. Why would you bother anyway? Because you, you could be deluding yourself. Yep. Cool. Exactly that. Thanks, Mark. Duck, HPE put out an urgent bulletin this week telling users that their hard disks might die. What's the story? Yes, it sounds huge, doesn't it? Well, the good news is it was HPE, which is essentially HP Enterprise, or HP is what used to be Hewlett-Packard. So they make computers, notably servers, and servers have hard disks in them, except that these days they're often not hard disks with actually moving parts. They're solid-state disk drives, and they're supposed to be more reliable than the average old hard disk because no moving parts, but suddenly these ones might just stop working. Just like that. Wow. You lose all your data. That 
is the tricky part. Actually, what happened here is this was a bug in the firmware, or is a bug in the firmware. So actually the disk, the storage chips in there haven't failed. They haven't run out of electromagnetic juice. Basically, it seems that the firmware that keeps track of how long your drives have been running, so you can see if they might fail, has a bug that at a certain point it just gives up and then the drive <laughs> won't start at all. This it basically runs out of it runs out of the will to work. Yep, definitely failed. It takes me back to the year two thousand or nineteen ninety nine, December thirty first. That's a fantastic was a analogy. If you think about it, you the in Y2K bug was that people figured, oh, we only need two digits for the year, even though we write them our Christian era years with four digits, not with two. Mm. Everyone, oh, two will do. And then they realised at 99, the next year is going to be zero, zero, which is 100 years in the past. Oh, dear. It's like your clock goes back to back to midnight at 23.59 every morning. And it seems that that's what happened here. The bug is that in counting how many hours the drive has run so you can keep track of it in order to be more secure and more safe, what happens when it gets to a specific number of binary digits? Mm. Uh, in fact, the number is 32,768 hours. It kind of loses its mind because they didn't leave enough binary digits to store the count of hours. So in trying to keep track of the usage of your drive for your own safety and security, they actually lost track of their ability to let you use the drive at all. So it's a little bit like locking your keys in the car and then realising you've done so, going to smash a window and realising you can't even do that. So this is basically a time bomb in your computer, mm. just ticking down to destruction. But worse, it's not in your computer, it's in the firmware of the hard disk. So the computer will boot on? up, and when the hard disk tries to come online, it won't. And you said 32,000 hours. What's that in days, weeks, years? It's approximately four years. Which is a lot shorter than you're probably expecting your solid-state drive to last. <laughs> <laughs> so if... if, we, if if, if one had to guess, and we can only guess at this point, you imagine that somebody figured it would be a brilliant idea to have something in the firmware that kept track of usage. How long do we need? Oh, probably decades. Well, how long is that? Okay, so 16 binary digits will be enough. It isn't enough. They should have used more so it could last for, for millennia if they needed. It is like the Y2K bug. They forgot that actually their count was going to wrap around. The firmware would get confused. And then worst of all, not only does it stop you booting up the drive, accessing the drive to read the data, which is all there, it actually seems that it stops you applying the firmware update that would fix the bug. Oh dear. So when does the clock start ticking? Is it different for each user? Yes, because it's the number of hours, as I understand it, that your drive has been powered on. So that's it. So the good news is it means that if you know somebody whose drive already failed, you're not going to go in this evening and find that all yours have failed, but it also kind of means that that you're not quite sure. So how can you how can you tell if you're how close you are to it? The good news is you can. Uh, HPE has put out a, uh, a a way to go and check what the number is, so you know how long you've got. Uh, if you go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com and just search for HPE, that's the most recent story about them. You can find all the links there. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and 
Most importantly, there's also a bulletin that HPE put out that tells you what to do. And just to give you an idea of how critical they think this is, they've, they haven't minced their words when it comes to patch early, patch often, because the bulletin, I won't read you the number because a long, catch, uncatchy number, came out on the 19th of November. It warns you that by disregarding this notification and not performing the recommended resolution, patching your firmware, the customer accepts the risk of incurring future-related errors. Which is kind of saying we can't tell you when, but eventually if you don't patch, your drive will just fall off the edge of the world. We imagine a lot of these have probably been sold. So there's probably some server farms out there that if the admins aren't paying attention to these alerts, could all just Yeah, you imagine all those those servers, all all those ranks. Blinked into life at exactly the same moment. And they've been on continuously since. And that's just like in your ransomware story about, hey, I've got, a, I've got my data on C, I've got a clone of it on D, so it's a backup, but they're both live. What if they both die at the same time? The problem here is you imagine if you have a RAID array, what's a redundant array of inexpensive disks, the idea is you've got two disks storing your data, and if one starts to fail, the other can take over. But as Mark said, in a server, they're probably kind of powered up at the same time. So they're counts are probably within an hour of each other, even if you've had them for years. So it could be you think, oh, don't worry, when one fails, I'll get the warning, I'll back up the data quickly off the surviving RAID array, and I'll, I'll get all the data back. What if they fail within the same hour? So that's why HPE has put out this dire and deep warning. It just goes to show Y2K bugs are still around. So you said it's um, HPE Enterprise. So that is that just businesses that are affected or is it consumers too? It, very, very likely. That's the sort of good news. It's unlikely because increasingly laptops, of course, have solid SSD, solid-state disks. You can tell that if you turn on your laptop and it makes that whining noise, which is your hard disk spinning, you have an old-type hard disk. Most of them are silent these days because they use less power and they're faster and they're smaller. Uh, but these are specifically designed for use in servers and server farms. That's the good news for people at home. Uh, the bad news, the two parts of bad news is... One is the list of HPE servers that have these in is quite long. So there's ProLiant, Synergy, Apollo, and many more. Mm -hmm. And the list of actual device IDs that are the drives that might be in those servers, it covers about half a page. You wouldn't even try to read it out. Um, There's a, a worse flip side to that for server operators out there, and that is that according to the bulletin, HPE became aware of this because they were informed by a manufacturer of SSDs of this defect. So you're kind of wondering, like with the smartwatch problem, which other goods with different model numbers Mm. have the same white good stuff that they bought from someone else? So HP knows that this dud firmware is in their devices and they have a way of fixing it. Uh, And that means that if you do have these server quality solid state disks in your servers, it will be a very, very good idea to go and check with the vendor now to make sure that that they can be certain that they weren't using the same manufacturer. Sadly, I wish we could tell you, but we can't because the only one we know is HPE. Mm. And they have at least got a clear list of products that are affected. Although they haven't patched everything, have they yet? 
Yes, that's the other fascinating part of this is despite that warning, if you ignore this warning, you 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 take all the liability on yourself, like don't say we didn't tell you, and they did tell you. The problem is that for some of the devices, the firmware patch won't be out. Presumably this time they're testing it like crazy. Mm. It won't be out until the 9th of December. Uh, now, I assume that the reason that they've left that gap is presumably those models are recent enough that even if you'd had them on from the day of manufacture until now, they couldn't have reached Or just the... to ratchet up the tension. Maybe they like drama. <laughs> uh, I, I, December's <laughs> quiet normally, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it, you know, if you were planning on going, oh, well, it's quiet, so there won't be any trouble, the crooks take vacations too. Sadly, our counters in signed short ints don't. And yeah. you may get uh, what's called an integer overflow, which throws the firmware out of whack, which then means you can not You can neither start the drive nor update the firmware anymore. So you have to act first or it's game over. So going back to uh, Peter's advice earlier, this is another great reason for having an inventory of all the stuff that you mm. operate, isn't it? Yeah. yeah but, oh, I've got my Windows automatic updates turned on and I click the button and it's a bit of a pain once a month and I let it grind through and I'm done. A, check that it actually worked last month. What if it failed? And B, it's not just your operating system. It's not even just your apps. It's not even just the web apps that you use in the browser that you updated and the operating system updated. Sadly, it includes anything that has software in it, even if that software is buried in firmware on a little mini board somewhere that's inside one of your servers. So an inventory, yes, very important. And the devil is in the details. I'm just wondering, I mean, HPE aren't doing a product recall or anything. This isn't I mean, I'm sure there are costs inferred because of this, the work they've had to do, but they're not offering you new SSDs here. So anyone that doesn't hear this advice and doesn't go and fix this and has however many SSDs that maybe one fails every few months, they may not even realise why and are just going and buying new SSDs from HPE. You'd hope that the new ones have the new firmware. <laughs> your yeah, your, your, your tinfoil hat slipping uh, yeah, slowly. I know. It's, it's, yeah. like they're actually potentially making money out of this accidentally, I'm sure. But. I, I, I think that it's such a bad look that there, there were conspiracy theorists on the Naked Security site when we wrote about this yeah, saying, about oh, I bet, they did this, <laughs> I bet they did this deliberately to yeah, get new no. business. Believe me, if you deliberately work this into your software so that you could get your sales guy to call when there are three months left to press the person into buying a new one, you wouldn't do it this way where you have no idea when your last three months to squeeze the sale is going to happen. So this seems like a plain Y2K bug, mm. something we thought we all learned about 20 years ago, uh, kind of being made again. When you, If you have to store data, make sure you allocate enough memory to store it with the detail that you need. Signed, short, int isn't enough. That's a bit depressing that the millennium was 20 years ago. Yeah, I, as I said that, I, I, there are I, professionals. I kind of that. <laughs> there are professionals in the workplace listening to this podcast. That weren't born. Who weren't born. That's very depressing. I think Alice was about... Yeah. Three, four, Maybe 30, that's, 31. Is that why, is that why we're so getting... We is that why we're getting these bugs? Because, you know, if you're a... If yeah, you're a 19-year-old programmer now, you go, I've got 81 years till the next <laughs> century. Like, what is the fuss about? Which is exactly how it happened last time. We did this in the 50s when data, you couldn't store so much data. We kept doing it in the 60s and then we just didn't bother to mm. change in time. So what's your advice to finish on Duck? 
Uh, my advice, I have three quick bits. Uh, number one is obviously your drive could fail anyway because there could be an electrical storm or a flood or some other firmware bug you haven't heard about. So make sure you have your backup and ideally you'd imagine it would be on a different sort of device kept offline so it wouldn't don't back it up to a device that could fail in exactly the same way. Um, number two is if you're not an HP user where you, it, you've you got a clear list of what you should do, go and check with your vendor if you have servers that have um, RAID-based SSDs inside them. Um, and the last bit of backup, make sure that if you are the HP user and you have had a couple of drive failures lately, you might want to go and reinvestigate those they could be regular failures or they could be an indication of this inventory that you don't know about. Thanks, Doug. And thank you, Mark and Peter, too. Also, thank you to Alice Duckett, who stepped in last minute to save me last week while I couldn't talk. Again. You did a great job. Thanks Again, so much. I think this has happened on more than one occasion. I know you're trying to oust me, but it I won't am. work. I keep poisoning you on a Monday <laughs> <laughs> And thanks for editing out my coughs this week. Does no. anyone want to say it's nice to have me back? No, no, we're good. Where can we find you on social media, guys? Mark? You can find me at Mark Stockley on Twitter and at Internet of Hens. Any more hens dead yet? Welcome <laughs> 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 <Talking> back, Anna. <laughs> Peter? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Alt Shift Print Screen. No hens involved. And Any of your beloved pets died recently? I <gasps> know. <gasps> oh, they're not beloved. You refuse to they're name them. Beloved. And you don't really care when they die. I care more when your hens die than you do. It yeah, shows. Egg supply dips off. I'm not work. very good at emotional stuff, Peter, as we know. <laughs> Duck, where can we find you on social media? I am at DuckBlog on Twitter. I am at PDucklin on Instagram. And I do not have any pets recent dead or currently alive <laughs> okay thank you good oh um sorry to go with that i'm at <laughs> i'm at Anna Brady on twitter and we are at naked security on twitter and instagram you can find us on facebook by searching for naked security where we do f weekly facebook live videos usually duck and our very special intern harry if you like a new podcast, please rate and review it because it helps other people to find us. And we've been having some nice reviews. I don't know if you guys have heard, but uh, there are a few five stars on there now. Exciting. Tweet us at Naked Security with suggestions or questions for the podcast, or you can email us at tips at sophos.com. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.